Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Diana Shimota, CEO of Growth Mode Marketing. It's great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast. It'd be good to learn a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Chris. So I am CEO of Growth Mode Marketing, which is a demand generation agency in the US that helps B2B technology companies break through the clutter of a crowded market so they can crush their revenue targets. And prior to founding Growth Mode Marketing about eight years ago, I was on the corporate side as a marketer, managing teams, building marketing departments from the ground up and working in the tech space. Oh, so where did your love of marketing start? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, like every 17-year-old, 18-year-old getting ready to go off to college, I had to think about what I wanted to do. And at the time, for some reason, I thought, you know what, I want to do PR in the dairy industry, because I actually showed dairy cattle as a kid. And long story short, I did not end up in the dairy industry, but I did end up getting a degree in marketing communications and then a master's degree in technical communications. And so my career started out in marketing and has always been in marketing and just kind of went down that path and continued to build my knowledge and understanding of marketing and the concepts that make it up. Oh, so where did the idea for the company come from? When did you form it? And uh, (laughs) what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so Growth Mode Marketing was formed eight years ago. And the reason that it happened, you know, I wasn't sitting around saying, you know what, I think I want to start an agency. It actually happened kind of organically. I was a VP of marketing at a network security company that was private equity backed, and they had a mission to grow substantially in five years. And I was brought in to build the marketing foundation from the ground up. And I ended up having lunch with a former colleague and I was talking to her about the challenges that I was having working with marketing agencies because I didn't want to hire a huge staff. I wanted to pull in marketing agency to help support some of the strategy and execution pieces of building out the marketing in order to be able to make the company grow more rapidly. And when I went out to those agencies, I was so frustrated because when I was looking for a B2B agency and there's just not as many B2B agencies out there to choose from as there are B2C. And at least locally, the agencies I was talking to that said they specialized in B2B Most of them, when you looked at their book of business, was at least 80% B2C. And to me, that doesn't make you a specialist in B2B. That means it's a side job. You're doing it to bring in additional revenue. And then I would go to them and I'd be like, help, we need leads. We need them yesterday. I need to build out these programs. And the responses back would be like, we envision building this amazing brand experience. And I was like, hold up. I'm a marketer. I completely understand the value of brand. In fact, I think brand plays a huge role in demand generation today, but it wasn't the conversation that I needed to have with them. And I was, you know, telling this colleague over lunch, I just don't think these agencies understand what it's like to stand in my shoes because most agency people have grown up in the agency world their entire career. They don't know what it's like to have to justify every marketing dollar spent to the board of directors, to the investors, 
They don't understand the expectations that are on my shoulders and how I have to be able to build that story up and prove that what we're doing is helping with that growth trajectory. And my colleague was like, I had the exact same experience. We should start an agency. So ultimately, that's why we started an agency is because we were like, you know what? There seems to be not enough resources from a marketing standpoint to support those companies that are looking to build a growth trajectory that aren't huge yet, but they're not tiny. You know, they're just kind of in the middle, getting started with marketing, they have the budgets, they don't know where to begin or, or how to start, or they just need someone who truly understands them. And so we started the agency with the intent that we would be there to support those type of companies. Pretty cool. So when you said demand generation, could you explain demand generation and potentially the difference between that and traditional marketing strategies? Absolutely. I think one thing to clarify for people, because not everybody understands this yet, lead generation and demand generation are two very different strategies. And I think a lot of people still think of them as one in the same, just different terminology for the same thing. But the reality is from a lead generation standpoint, basically your marketing programs are only focused on the 5% of companies that are currently in market and your using a push strategy. You're going out, you're asking prospects for a meeting and you're trying to pull them into your sales process. So think about strategies like gating content, collecting those leads, calling them MQLs, passing them to an SDR. The SDR starts chasing them, trying to get appointments to hand to the sales team. The problem with that is the way that buyers in the B2B space are making purchase decisions today doesn't fit that model well anymore. In fact, 72%, according to Gartner, would prefer to have zero interaction with a sales rep during the entire purchase process. And they're making up to 80% of that purchase decision before they're willing to engage with a sales rep. So you can see where the lead generation tactics have become less impactful because prospects are engaging much, much later in their decision process with that company sales team than they have previously. Demand generation on the flip side focuses on driving value, not just with the 5% that are currently in market, but also the 95% of companies that are not looking to buy right now. And so your marketing programs are focused on building brand awareness, credibility, and trust to create demand and ultimately capture it. And the flip side of that, it's a strategy where you're looking at it where you want prospects to ask you for a meeting when they are ready, knowing how they are buying today. Because if they're making up to 80% of that decision without that one-to-one -one connection with a sales rep, they're already at their shortlist by the time they engage, right? And you need to be in front of them long before they get there in order to have a shot at making that shortlist. And at the end of the day, it's about prospects inviting you into their buying process versus lead gen where you're trying to pull them into your sales process. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I think uh, I was saying something the other day about that, that only 5% of the actual market is ready to buy from you at any given time. So then the other 93, 95% are people that either are not problem aware, or if they are problem aware, they're not solution aware. They potentially don't understand what mm -hmm. they need and how they need it. And it was really cool what you said there about adding that value. And I think that's important. And I like what you said as well about, it's about them inviting you into their buying journey opposed to you trying to pull them in the situation. So what are some of the things that you do from a demand generation point of view that help people to go on that journey? 
we look at demand generation and building out an engine as having three pillars. The pillars are strategy, content, and distribution. And to break that down a bit from a strategy perspective, and I feel like this is where a lot of companies fall short because they skip this step or they kind of skimp over it and do, don't do it well, but identifying an ideal customer profile that are ideally the best fit companies. And if you don't have that piece and you don't have it well-defined, what happens is you build this demand generation engine where you're trying to be everything to everyone, which really works against you if you're in a really crowded market. For example, we do a lot of work in the HR technology space. There's 21,000 plus technologies out there. It's a very, very crowded market. So that ideal customer profile is really narrowing it down to say, okay, from a marketing standpoint, we are going to hyper-focus on creating a message and marketing programs that target this audience. And we're going to show up where those companies tend to show up and the individuals in those companies tend to show up. So it starts to look like we're everywhere. And we're going to develop a unique point of view framework. And this is kind of your story to challenge thinking. The unique point of view becomes really important when you have a technology or a product or service that isn't truly differentiated in the eyes of the buyer. Again, we see a lot of this in the HR technology space. Certain features and functionality that companies will lean on aren't enough of a game changer for someone to be like, you're truly different and you all sound the same. And so if you frame up that unique point of view specifically for that ideal customer profile, you start to have a story that resonates with a subset of your total addressable market so that you can actually get some traction. And then of course you need a content marketing and demand generation plan, which is the blueprint of, okay, how do we go and we execute on this? That second pillar content, it's looking at key topics. Again, hyper-focused to that ideal customer profile, continually weaving your unique point of view framework into it. Content for each stage of the funnel and the different formats of content. So, you know, like not everybody listens to a podcast. How do you take that content and repurpose it out, create bite-sized chunks, create blog posts, infographics, webinars, you know the drill. And then that distribution is really, you know, we consider that a three-legged stool where it's how do you get that content out in front of your ideal customer profile where they're consuming information. So the obvious one is your website. How do you build out your digital footprint and your digital storefront? And with that, it's not about just having a website, but how do you make sure you have enough information for people to go deep on there? And what I mean by that is like, you might have a product insights portal where someone can come and think of it like a Netflix experience. They can come and choose which things they're interested in, but it's a rich, amount of content for them to go in and really dig into your product and understand it. You're going to put things like content loops in there. So when people are coming and looking at your content, regardless of which stage in their decision process they're at, whether they're at the top of the funnel, middle or bottom, there's loops in there. So they get done reading an article or they get done listening to a podcast and it's like more content you might like. And you want them to continue clicking that infinite loop of content and going deeper into your content to kind of build that trust with your organization rather than 
looking at one article, jumping back to Google and finding another company and digging into their stuff. Second leg of that stool is managed channels. And this is about building up your own audience. So this is channels where you can control what you publish, when you publish and how often you publish. So think about things like webinar series, podcasts, social media, blogs, email campaigns, digital advertising, all of those things, like designing them with the intent of, we're gonna put really good, very targeted content out there and we're gonna build up an audience who wants to continually consume this content to not only build that brand awareness, but build that credibility and trust with them. Because remember, 95% of them aren't in market right now. So you want to stay front and center with them. The third leg of that stool is third-party channels. And this is about how do you tap into other relevant existing audiences where your ideal customer profile is hanging out. So this can be pay-to-play, or free, depending on what avenues you're going down. But it's looking at things like, are there industry events and organizations? Are there influencers? Are there publications? Are there podcasts, review sites? All of these things, like how do you get content about your company or related to your company out there that one adds a level of credibility because it's on someone else's website? And two, taps into their audience because you're trying to then bring them over to your managed channels to become part of your audience. So when you take that collectively, like that's how you build out a demand generation engine, which I realize is a really long answer to the question that you asked. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's really cool. That's, um, yeah, there's some really good stuff in there. How long or in your experience, how many touch points or piece of content does someone need to move themselves down the funnel? That is a great question, you know, and obviously it varies depending on what you're selling and how expensive that is. But according to Gartner Research, I'm a big fan of, you know, the things Gartner publishes, it takes an average of 66 touch points for a prospect now to be willing to engage with a company. So if you think about that, that doesn't mean send 66 emails to them and boom, they're ready to be a customer, you know, and that's an average, you know, there's some that it's probably two. There's some that is probably 200, right? And they're not going to notice every single touch point that you put out there or that you try to put in front of them. I do think though, you have to look at demand generation and kind of building that credibility and trust as a long-term strategy. It is not a silver bullet that, okay, I'm going to turn off lead generation because the quality of those leads are crap and the close rates are terrible. And I'm just going to turn on demand generation and all my problems are going to be solved. It takes a good six months to 18 months for a demand generation engine to truly start paying off and to start to bring in predictable inbound leads. And so I think you just have to kind of look at your audience and what you're selling and be realistic in how you look at it and plan for it to be a long game. I mean, I, I just talked to a a marketer yesterday with a SaaS company who said it took her company two years for their demand gen engine to really start humming. And once they did that, within two years of that, they doubled in size and they're a 700 person company. So to say they doubled in size, it's not like they went from 1 million to 2 million. You know, you can probably do some math there and figure out that to double in size within two years was a pretty substantial growth for that company. 
Are you struggling to grow your brand but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling? Or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today, take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential. I think a lot of companies get that wrong with regards to thinking short-term versus long-term and the need for both really. But like you said, the best quality leads are going to come when you actually have the long-term strategy in place because you're going to draw them to you. They're going to be advocates. The amount of times that when we get clients coming through and they say, we've been watching your content for an X amount of time or whatever, and they're already familiar with you before you even speak to them is an amazing thing because it kind of breaks down those barriers and instantly you have a rapport, which is an interesting thing. But do you right. find that with the clients you work with that once they start to generate that demand, it just keeps ramping up and keeps ramping up. Yep. And I think the key is patience and consistency. It's so easy, let's say, it's starting a podcast. Anybody who starts a podcast has probably learned this lesson. Unless you are you know, famous and have a lot of dollars behind you, you're not going to launch a podcast and have a million followers. It starts out and you're like, is anybody listening? This is a lot of work here. (laughs) You know, like, am I adding value? I think my content's really good, but I'm not seeing the downloads happen. I have heard some people say, yep, it takes a good two years of podcasting religiously to grow that following to make it work for you. I've heard three years from like Neil Patel, for example, who has a very good personal brand. So this isn't something that you should rely on like, hey, we need leads yesterday. Let's start a podcast. It's more like, hey, we are planning on high growth. It's a five-year strategy. We better start yesterday on this podcast and we need to stick with it because it will pay off over time. And I have the confidence of that. But you need to set expectations internally because other people are not going to have the patience until they understand. Like this was never intended to be a quick win yeah definitely i mean we've been going now for over two years and it's interesting because even in the early days you have a by proxy side of things so the listener the order the listeners kind of grown over time but you have this thing where when you share that content in other platforms it also adds to that mix of content you're putting out there which also then grows that audience on other platforms so it kind of the actual medium itself has one audience but then it can be utilized in other places so when you're thinking about that with content how do you approach that for companies Yeah, we call it the slice and dice approach. And we look at it and say, okay, you need to have cornerstone content and then you create cobblestones from it. And what a cornerstone content piece is, it's that big meaty piece. So we'll stay on the, you know, the theme of podcasts here because that's a really easy example to give to podcast listeners. You create a podcast series, that's the heavy lift. You're creating really rich, robust content on a regular cadence with that. But uh, to your point, not everybody is listening to a podcast. That doesn't mean that's where it stops. You can then take that podcast and you could probably create like 30 different content pieces. You know, some of them are very bite-sized, but out of one episode, right? Because, okay, if you record it, you now have a video that you can post on YouTube, on your website. You can then create video shorts that you can post on social media and on your website and use an email campaigns. You can create audio clips. You may take some of those topics and turn them into a webinar. 
you can create articles from it you can create multiple social posts from it you know the list goes on and it's really about looking at those cornerstone content pieces and saying okay how do i chip away at this or taking a research report for example let's say it's a 25 page research report that you paid for Forrester to help you create. There's really great content, most likely in that report, but a lot of people don't have the patience to read 25 pages. You wanna make sure you get your money's worth out of that and the leverage. So now how do you create those bite-sized pieces? And maybe it's social media posts and articles and podcast episodes and things like that, where you're taking bits and pieces of that information and you're kind of spoon feeding it to people. And so maybe they didn't read the 25 page report in one sitting, but maybe over three months, you gave them all of the key information that was in that report. And they've absorbed all of that, maybe not all of it, but you know, they've absorbed pieces of it to carry forward. That's a win. And I think, you know, it's overwhelming to think like, oh, from a demand generation standpoint, what you're telling me is I have to create a ton of content. The answer is yes, you do but it's not as overwhelming as you think it is if you take the slice and dice approach because you're not reinventing the wheel with each content piece. Yeah, work smarter, not harder. So with that, what are you most passionate about with what you do and the work that you do and the clients you work with? What's your passion? My passion is helping companies figure out how to grow. I think, you know, having been on the corporate side, I know the pressures on a CMO or VP of marketing's shoulders when they come into an organization and they're expected to be, you know, the magic bullet that suddenly moves revenue forward. And it's not as easy as that. There's so many factors that go into it, right? Like product market fit, the ability of the sales team, brand awareness, you know, there's many levers and dials that go into that. And so I love helping companies figure out from a marketing perspective, like how do we do our part to support this growth mission and ensure that we're putting the right tools and the right content in front of the right people to optimize results for the organization as best as we can. And I think, you know, the piece of advice that I have for marketers as they think about how can we impact the results for the organization is making sure that your digital footprint becomes your best sales rep because of the way that buyers and prospects look at the purchase decision these days. I really like that digital footprint being your best sales rep. I think that's really cool. Cool way to think about it. I used an analogy before in a networking event, but I talked about uh, Wayne Gretzky. And I don't even think he actually said this in the end, but it's a quote that he gets like his, his quote, <laughs> but you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I always think about that from the perspective of you miss 100% of the interactions if you're not giving the right message. So there could be people that yeah. come to your site, your content that you've completely missed and they will never interact with you and you've missed that opportunity. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. That digital footprint is your best sales rep. It's a really cool way of thinking about it. So what you're passionate about that side of things. What drives you mad about the industry? What drives me mad? I think the constant need to focus on today and what I mean by that, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this when I was in the corporate world of being like, we need leads, we need them now. I think it's very short-sighted when, you know, revenue is down and the company leadership and the sales team come to marketing and they're like, we got to drive more leads quick. We're not going to meet our numbers. It's not realistic, especially like if you're talking about like 
a SaaS technology or an enterprise sale where the sales cycle takes months. I don't know how you think a marketing program being implemented now is going to impact your sales tomorrow versus 18 months from now. We're not miracle workers. We want to do our part and help the organization thrive. We start doing random acts of marketing because everybody's coming and saying, can you do this? Can you do this? And it gets very reactive. And what I mean by random acts of marketing is we're no longer focused on the long-term and the strategy. We're suddenly like creating campaigns to bring in leads. Well, those leads are crap and they never close. It never actually impacted, you know, the upcoming revenue number anyway, but hindsight's 2020, right? And then on top of that, as a marketer, for years, we've been told you have to justify the dollars that you're spending and sure, we'll give you more budget if you can prove it works. And so we have over measured things to the point of it being a detriment because we're measuring things at times in ways to make it look like it's performing better than it is. And not because people are like, I'm going to fudge these numbers, but it's more like we're looking at the vanity metrics and individual factors versus the big picture. Because you can't measure every touch point that a buyer has now. I mean, if they are reading your social media posts, like let's say they follow you on LinkedIn and they see your content all the time, if they never like or respond by commenting on your stuff, you think they don't see it, right? I can't tell you how many times I talk to someone and they're like, I see your content on LinkedIn all the time. I'm like, huh, good to know. <laughs> Had no idea you saw it all the time because you've never liked or commented on anything. But here they were following it and finding it valuable. You can't measure that. Yeah, that's uh, I've had that happen as well, where you sort of, it's, and it generally is the best leads tend to be the ones that don't kind of overtly like or comment. They kind of, they come to you right. naturally. It's really interesting. And I think, yeah, I always think of it like a skateboard or a bike. You know, the beginning of it, you have a couple of pushes on a skateboard. And then once you've done that, you then start to, to go with it. And it's the same with kind of like the marketing dollars and stuff like that. At the beginning, you put stuff in and you're right. People want to see these instant results. You know, what is spend going on? But it takes a bit of time for that to kind of almost pick up and start to develop and get those campaigns working and get, like you said, get people seeing you in different places to actually make it yeah. worthwhile. So from that perspective, what are some things that you can give the listeners to do to start to consider about their demand generation and how they can tweak some things or look at some things to make that better? Uh, there's a couple things I would recommend as organizations are thinking about, like, should we make the move to demand generation? One do a Google on your company and key topics and see how much you pop up. I mean, when someone reaches out to me to have a conversation about demand generation, that's one of the first things I do is I will Google their company. And I can tell you pretty quickly, like, do you have a good digital footprint or is there opportunity to build that out? And for most companies, there's an opportunity to build it out a lot more. There are some that are absolutely killing it out there, of course, but a lot of companies haven't thought about demand generation in the sense of, hey, people are buying differently than they used to. They're doing all this research digitally. How the heck do we make sure we're part of that research process? And if they don't know you exist, this is where brand comes into play, right? Like the brand awareness matters. If they don't know you exist, they're never going to select you. And if they don't find out you exist until they're already 80% through their decision process, 
the chances are slim that you're going to get on their list. So that is one area where I would look at. Another thing I think companies need to look at that you can easily take action on to determine if you need to address it is how different do you sound in the market compared to your competitors? And an easy way to do that is go to competitor websites, pull off key statements from their website, put it all in a spreadsheet blindly, put yours in there too, and look at them and read through it and say, does this statement apply to us? Can I identify who this statement is from? And what you'll find, because we do this for our clients when we're doing a unique point of view framework exercise for them, is the majority of the time, it's such vague, general type of language that it's not original and you don't sound different. And there are companies who struggle with differentiators and will say, our people are our differentiator. Guess how many companies say their people are their differentiator, right? Like it becomes pretty clear quickly when you look at the competitors and you you pull those commentary and those statements out blindly, whether you actually sound different from everyone else or if you blend into the sea of sameness. And I think just focusing on those two problems will tell you if you need to get serious about demand generation, an ideal customer profile and a unique point of view. So it's interesting to say about the spreadsheet side of things, because when we do brand audits, we'll look at like competitors in the market and look at the way that they position themselves and that kind of thing. It's so funny when you get like a market and you've got, we did one recently where it was two people said they were the market leader and then a couple uh-huh. of other people said they were the <laughs> oldest. So one of them is not the oldest, obviously, but they were both saying they're the oldest. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see how a market a lot of times gravitates towards itself. They kind of all sort of gravitate yeah, around each um... other and kind of follow each other. It's really interesting how that happens. And yeah, is that something you see a lot with B2B where businesses kind of gravitate towards their competitors quite a bit? For sure. And, you know, I don't think anyone does it intentionally. I mean, even like, you know, I've used the HR tech as an example. You walk through a trade show floor at like the HR technology conference, for example, which has like 400 booths. There's lots of different types of HR technology, but you start reading the copy in the booths. They all sound the same. They're all solving the same issues. You know, they're all addressing the same key things in the industry right now. And that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, if employee retention is a big issue, obviously those HR buyers walking the floor care about that. But how do you sound different when everybody else is talking about it? And I think that is something that B2B organizations in general often need to take a step back and think about. Like it's more than just product differentiation. And sometimes no matter how much you want to say you're different in the market, you're not. Your people are you know, not your differentiator because everybody can say it's their people. And quite frankly, if all your people quit, does that mean you're not different anymore? That's a problem. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, unless you're someone like Zappos or something like that, then people is not really the differentiator, you know, that go above and beyond. Right. From your perspective, is there anybody that you've noticed recently that is absolutely like nailing demand generation? It can be a client or a brand that you've seen doing it. Is there anyone that's really good to look out for? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is the companies that tend to focus in selling to sales and marketing are the ones that I think are really good at that. An example that I'll use, I feel like Chili Piper is one. You see them everywhere. They put great content out. Another one is Lavender. They you know, sell to the, the sales space and they're doing a really good job creating demand for their product and creating that brand awareness. 
and getting people talking about them and building a following. And I think those are great examples of how if you really commit to the process, demand generation can absolutely be the catalyst for growth for your organization. That's cool. And what do you see on the future for um, demand generation? What's on the horizon? What's something to watch out for? I think more and more companies are going to recognize that lead generation doesn't work anymore. And I think it's going to change the playbook. So many companies, especially in the technology space, kind of follow that Salesforce playbook from years ago, where it's like, get your content, hire an army of SDRs, have them set appointments, pass them to sales, and you'll just experience growth. That worked in 2010. That doesn't work as well anymore. And so I think, you know, from a reality of where marketing is going, more and more organizations are going to come to understand that, okay, we've got to support the way buyers buy today. And it's not about pushing them into our sales process. You can't convince someone who's not ready to buy and not in market to buy your expensive multi-million dollar software today. You've got to nurture them. I think brand is going to be elevated. It's kind of been a, you know, a dirty word for so long, I feel like, in the sense that people often think of brand as like your logos and your colors and your imagery. And so when you talk about brand, they're like, no, I need leads. I need them yesterday. I know this because I was one of those people. And now it's like, no, you know, the brand is so much more. It's about the brand awareness and building the credibility and the trust in the market. And that needs some serious investment. Uh, You know, it can't all be about how do I bring in leads today? Because if that's all you focus on, you're always going to be behind on revenue. So do you think it's a... Going forward, it's going to be about the communities that you build around your product or service as opposed to just those kind of transactional interactions. I really do. You know, I think there is such value in building your own audience that follows and engages in your content. Because if you stop and think about it, somebody who continually consumes your content, there just builds this level of trust. And let's say you have a YouTube channel and you're consistently putting out videos When someone goes and they watch your video and they see like a person's face, they start to think they know you. And by the time they raise their hand and say, I'm ready to have a conversation. I mean, I just had one of these conversations yesterday where she's like, I just kept watching your videos because it really spoke to me. And I'm like, yes, you know, that's exactly what it's intended to do is make them feel like not only do I understand what your company does, but I trust you people. And I want to buy from you people because you're the type of people I want to work with. Yeah, it's really powerful. I've had clients come through that have done a similar thing and they've said they've watched the videos and it's it reduces that barrier, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool when that works. So what would be a final thought to give the listeners? What would be the thing that you would leave the listeners with? I think don't get so wrapped up in the short game that you overlook the long game because if you're only focused on the short game, It's going to make growth that much harder for your organization. You need to have a balance of both. Of course, you need to bring in revenue today and you need to uncover those opportunities that are already in market. But building up that demand for your organization and your products long term really will help you grow further than you can if you're just focused on the short game. Definitely. Where can people find more about yourself and the agency? Yeah, if you're interested in learning more about how to create a catalyst for growth through demand generation, check out Growth Mode Marketing's podcast, The Demand Gen Fix on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can also follow me, Deanna Shimoda, on LinkedIn. I regularly post insights and best practices on demand generation. And of course, we provide lots of information on our website, growthmodemarketing.com. Oh, yeah, sounds good. I'll put all of that in the show notes. It's been really good to have you on. It'd be good to do it again sometime. Yeah, thanks very much. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. No worries. Don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast. And if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, that would be highly appreciated. If you want to continue your brand development journey, head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube. There's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast, brand building tips, deep dives and more. So thank you for listening and remember, keep those brands unified.